It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Atlanta Sports Party, your home for the best Atlanta sports talk. It's local insight you can't get anywhere else but right here at Locked On. I'm your host, Tanitra Batiste. Alongside me are Jarvis Davis and Maria Martin. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started. And of course, the Atlanta Sports Party is part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Coming up later, we'll deep dive about the loss of a legend and we'll take you around the Metro. But let's get the party started with our top takes. Now, guys, the news of Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots deciding to mutually part ways came down earlier this morning. Of course, we are also coming off of the press conference where Bill Belichick gave his goodbyes and Robert Kraft gave all of his kudos to the future first ballot Hall of Famer. Now, the question I have for you is this, Maria. Does this mean that Arthur Blank and Rich McKay may finally hire a head coach with experience part one and if so should they consider Belichick I mean it's hard not to consider Belichick considering he's available for the first time in almost three decades which is just so wild um I think it's it's shocking to see his time in New England come to an end but I think everybody knew what was happening um yeah I mean look Arthur Blake has always wanted to be relevant in the NFL, and this is the perfect opportunity to do so. Uh, you know, you have your argument, arguments that Bill Belichick can't coach anymore and whatever. And I think that there's this underlying factor to Bill. I want to win and prove that I can win without Tom Brady. And what better place to do that than a place in Atlanta where there are tons more pieces here than he had in New England in the last couple of years, um, obviously just missing a quarterback. So if they can give him a quarterback somehow, then – who knows what he could do? And he's clearly on the tail end of his career. He's 72 years old. He's really close to Don Shula's record. He's probably two seasons away from really accomplishing that on a good yeah. team. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think this would be a great opportunity for him to coach again. And do I think that Arthur would do it? Yeah, of course I do. The only thing that really concerns me is Bill Belichick is going to want complete and total control. I'm not exactly. sure that the Falcons would be willing to give him that. Um, should they though? I mean, why not? It's Bill Belichick. He's a Hall of Fame coach. Yeah, except for that RM guy, as in Rich McKay. That's probably where I think your biggest challenge would come as well, Maria, because Bill Belichick, to your point, in addition to being in New England for nearly three decades, he's had control, complete control, probably for all that time. Because if you even look back to the Bill Parcells days, he was kind of that newfangled coach slash GM. So yeah, absolutely. I think Bill Belichick would still be looking for a place where he could be that. And I don't know necessarily if that happens when Rich McKay has the type of kind of overseeing of that space that he currently has within the Falcons organization. But then again, to your point, these guys are all kind of, and I'll say, I'll use the term loosely, legacy in the in the pantheon of things and maybe with Arthur blank kind of getting to that point in place Jarvis, where he has not had the opportunity to really even sniff the playoffs, let alone a super bowl in we're going on a decade now, since that super bowl run uh, during the early years, the Dan Quinn era at this point, it might be a, by any means necessary. And rich McKay, you're just going to have to figure out, we're all going to have to figure out how to fall in line if this is indeed one of the top places that Bill Belichick is looking at, which many, many reports are now saying. 
you to be honest with you, I, I really feel like Arthur Blank is, is semi-desperate. Uh, I yeah. think when he, I was sitting yeah. at the press conference, and he, I, when I was sitting at the press conference, I was sitting there when he was talking about just what, you know, as far as a timetable, he said, there is no timetable. And I did not believe him in that moment. There is a timetable and you're trying to get the best guy because you want to be able to, like you said, get back to com competing for a Super Bowl. Like you said, like Maria mentioned, his team is pretty much primed. I'm not saying, hey, you bring in a quarterback, get the right coach. I'm not saying that's a guaranteed uh, um, appearance in the Super Bowl, but it's going to be damn close. And it's going to be closer than what you was when Arthur Smith was at the helm. Yeah. But I think overall, this concerns me because of what Maria mentioned. I think you were about 15 wins away from um, surpassing mm -hmm. Don Shula. Then what? You know, like, like I, I, because, you know, you have to win right now because if Bill Belichick comes in and he says, hey, I want Russell Wilson, I'm not a fan of that. <laughs> I want I want something that's sustainable. I want something that's long lasting. Is Bill Belichick going to be around for at least the next five years? You know, so that's where I am with it. I understand what he's been able to do. Six Super Bowls, 24 years with one organization, being a de facto general manager on top of that. I just really feel like I'm in a space where I want the Falcons to be able to hire somebody that they know can be around for some while and is going to do a doggone good job and take this team to the next level. Because, like I said, the roster is, is constructed to a point where this should be one of the more attractive jobs in a, in that's out of all the openings. So I'm, I'm with if this is something that they are considering, I'm not necessarily a big fan of it, but I do like the idea of saying, hey, you're going to go get somebody that you feel is the best candidate and you're trying to get back to a, a respectable place because you got the you got the roster already. You have the roster already. And for me, he feels like he wouldn't be that guy. If you're looking for somebody who would be a five, four, six-year type of guy, I don't think he's that guy. I think he's the win-now guy. I think he he reminds right. me almost like an old-school version of what you did with the Rams and Sean McVay. Like, you come in here, and you instantly make this place more attractive. Atlanta has slowly become more and more attractive. You look at Jesse Bates, you know, selected as an all-pro by his colleagues just yesterday, and that's telling you that it's becoming more of a, a destination, if you will. So you put a Bill Belichick in and maybe you get that where you can pull uh, free agents in. You've got number eight right now. You might even be able to trade up with some good negotiating in the 2024 draft. And who knows, you might be able to go on a run for a year or two that would coincide with two things. Number one, probably the time frame in which he's probably looking to coach again and maybe get himself to a title. And number two, within the time frame that ultimately, to Maria's point, he'd be looking at being able to get that all-time record and snag that for a number of wins. Now, you know, he's not the only name that we've heard out there, right? We've also we also know that Pete Carroll is no longer at the helm for the Seahawks. Now, yeah, he's kind of shifted into a consulting role, but he also said that he's, he's still hungry, he's still thirsty, and he is still looking to be able to make his mark. So that said, if he was entertaining the opportunity to come here and coach, would you go for him, JD? No, because it's the same, the same, but I have the same feels. That uh, Bill, with Bill Belichick. I just don't, I'm just not interested in that. I mean, I understand the pedigree. I understand trying to win now. I get it, but you need to have that same mindset and try to find your own guy that has uh, not as much head coaching experience because that's a lot of experience between those two guys, Pete Carroll yeah. and Nick, I mean, not Nick Saban. Got Nick Saban on my mind. Um, and Bill <laughs> Belichick, 
But, <laughs> but I think we'll get there. Those, we'll get there. <laughs> right. Yeah. In a little bit, we'll be talking about Nick Saban. But yeah, I think it's, I, I'm just not interested in that because when you talk about guys being set in their ways and like Maria, I thought Maria made a great point when she talked about how Bill Belichick wanted to have all the control. No, uh-uh. Have you looked at your personnel since, since uh, in the past three or four years? It has been awful. It's been dreadful, dreadful. So I, I'm not interested in guys who are set in their ways. And now, granted, that way worked, but that was some time ago. And, and it's a new, it's a new, it's a new league, it's a new NFL right now. And I think that you, the Falcons shouldn't go that route. I understand them exploring it, but they definitely should go that route. Yeah, you really have to look back to 2012 to the likes of Adante Hightower, where he got a couple of Pro Bowls, he got a couple of Super Bowl rings to see where the imprint of Bill Belichick, the GM, really, really made it had an effect. Now, Maria, I want to wrap us up with this one because we have heard reports even today, uh, the most recent report being that of Raheem Morris, uh, the Falcons requesting an interview for him. Of course, he got the Falcons there only four wins in the 2020 season. A former member of the staff on both sides of the ball and now, of course, D.C. with the Rams, Super Bowl winning defensive coordinator with them. But he's in a long list that includes Steve Wilkes and others who are coordinators. And there's been some pushback that and a point blank question, point blank question was asked of Arthur Blank. Where do you want to go with this? What are your thoughts on the possibility of going with another coordinator ascending into the head coaching role for the Falcons? I don't I don't know that. It correlates, to be honest with you. I don't think it's fair to put the previous quote-unquote failures of the coordinators that were hired by the Falcons as a blanket. You should never hire the hot new coordinator ever again. I don't, I don't agree with that. I think that if you can coach and you're a good coach, you should get hired. End of story. Um, and Raheem Morris would be a phenomenal option. And I'm yeah. secretly kind of hoping that they go with Raheem. I mean, he has Most of us are. <laughs> Yeah, I am yeah. too. <laughs> yeah, he's awesome. And I, you know, I was in Los Angeles when he won a Super Bowl with the Rams. Um, you know, we were all here when he was named the interim and when he was an assistant coach with the Falcons. I would love to see him coach here and get an opportunity to do that. He's got again familiarity with the city, with the team. Uh he's a big time players coach, which I thought that's something that Arthur Smith did have. Yeah. Um, especially in the beginning, you know, he really changed the culture here in Atlanta and the way that it shifted from the Dan Quinn culture to the Arthur Smith culture. I love where it's at right now. And I think mm -hmm. Raheem can only make it better. Um, but there's so many good coordinators out there. Brian Callahan, I think is a wow. perfect candidate as well. Um, mm -hmm. so no, I don't necessarily think it's okay. Your previous coordinators that you've hired have not worked out. So don't go for one because there's right. plenty that deserve the opportunity in my opinion. Indeed. And Dan Quinn, I think, is a great example of he didn't fail. He just failed to get you a Super Bowl. But that's only the second appearance that you had in a Super Bowl. And Mike Smith got you to almost the promised land because you got to the conference championship level. So, yeah, Jarvis, given the right opportunity and Lord knows Raheem Morris with 13 years since he's been a head coach, an interim head coach in that time frame and one of the more esteemed coordinators in the league, I think he would be one who you could take a gamble on or Ben Johnson and you feel confident in, in doing so. Yeah, I just, like, at the end of the day, can he coach? Yeah, I mean, true enough, I would like to have some uh, a guy who's had who's been at the helm before, you know, and sure. know what to do in certain situations and, and know how to mm -hmm. communicate with both sides, all sides of the football, from the undrafted free agent to the number one quarterback. I, I love, because that's what, 
I think Raheem Morris's biggest asset is he can communicate with anybody on that yeah. squad, no matter of tiers, rankings, or however you want to look at the, the roster. I really feel like he's a guy that can teach, and he's a teacher as well. So, yeah, as long as that guy has those qualities, obviously I'm pushing for Raheem or Rod to be the uh, head coach of this team. But as long as they have that, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. But some offense coordinators can get into their little cubbyhole and, and silos and not really know how to communicate, but they're excellent guys when they're just in that silo. And I think Arthur Smith kind of got exposed when it came to those type of things. So right now, as long as they're able to be able to be the head guy, the CEO type, and and, experience, and communicate with everybody, I'm cool. Absolutely. Well, Rich McKay, Arthur Blank, and some input from Terry Fontenot and others in the organization, they've got their work cut out for them. When we come back, Terry Fontenot still work for the team? <laughs> Last I checked, yeah, Tifano was still up there doing things at Flowery Branch. When we come back, we'll talk about another legend who's decided to hang it up when we come back. Hey, guys, this episode is brought to you by FanDuel. So, you know, we are embarking upon playoffs. It's the wild card weekend. The NFL regular season, of course, has wrapped up. But there is still time to get in on the action with FanDuel, which is America's number one sports book right now. New customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $150 in bonus bets, win or lose. And if you check your calendar, it's about a month away from Valentine's Day. So that gives you some time to maybe get some extra change and get ready for Valentine's Day. The app is so easy to use. And there are so many different ways to bet, like live same game parlays. Finding bets in the new Explore tab, making a parlay in the Parlay Hub, which is actually the best way to find popular parlays. Again, live same game parlays, finding bets in the new Explore tab, and making a parlay in the Parlay Hub. How much more can you ask for in an app? So visit fanduel.com slash locked on and make your first bet a layup. That's fanduel.com slash locked on to make your first bet a layup. FanDuel is the official partner of the NFL and the sponsor of ATL Sports Party. All right, guys, time to dive in. Marie, I want to go to you real quick because I know that you've had so much experience. We've talked about it over the years, just that up-close opportunity to cover the legend that is Nick Saban. Of course, he's shocked. I said he literally turned college football, if not the whole football and sports world, on its ear Wednesday when he announced that he was deciding to retire from coaching football. But you look at it from a more holistic perspective because whether you say the six rings at Alabama, the one ring at LSU, all of the wins, 201 second most um, in SEC football history, and just the coaching tree itself, of which we've been a benefactor as well with Kirby Smart. My goodness, you just look at his impact as a whole, and you got to say, Maria, what does this mean for football, especially not just in him parting ways with what happened on the field, but also in light of, of this being a determining factor for Saban to call it a day? This whole NIL situation, the transfer portal, and so many other things that have stepped away or walked the game away from his first love, which is developing players. Well, first of all, I was so sad to hear it. You know, I, yeah. I had heard rumblings of Coach wanting to retire over yeah. the last couple of months. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I just kept telling myself he's, he's got to get one more because right now yeah. he is tied with Bear Bryant for most all time at the University of Alabama. One more would have surpassed Bear. Um, yep. But this was probably his greatest coaching accomplishment was getting this team to the point that they did this year. And I feel mm -hmm. like for him, that was, I'm good. Like 
college football is changing so much. And granted, he has changed so well, obviously, throughout the course of his career with college football. But the way that it's changing now, there was a video that went viral yesterday of him talking to Kirby and he said, I'm old. I'm too old for this man. And that was kind of a, a clear indicator. Like he's had enough. It's enough yeah. change for him. He just bought that house in Jupiter, which I think I talked about on this podcast. That's not a house that you buy to not retire to. Right. Um, by the way, I walked past it on the beach. It's actually close to my house in Florida where I'm from. And my husband and I walked past it and I said, you know, I wonder if he's going to end up here. And funny enough, it was literally the next week. Um, wow. I digress. You know, I think it's a sad day for college football. And I know a lot of dogs fans and Auburn fans and rivals of Nick Saban and the University of Alabama were celebrating, but it, it's awful. I mean, he, to yeah. me, he's the greatest coach of all time. He yeah. was such a fun personality. When he had his grandkids, we started to see that personality come out a little bit more. He's not as um, strict as he used to be. He even knows how to text now, which is new for him. Um, so, you know, I, I liked that people were getting to see the side of Saban because I didn't get yeah. to see it. I covered him. Um, I think it. I think it means we're never going to see something like it again. I think it's impossible to replicate what Coach Saban did at Alabama and his short stint at LSU, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think it means that college football is changing in ways that maybe a lot of us aren't ready for. Um, yeah. and, and good for Coach Saban. You know, he, I think he's excellent on TV. I hope that he does do mm -hmm. things on TV here in the Thanks. next couple of years. He's too, um, he's too much of a busybody to sit around. Yeah. So like at least Miss Terry, I'm telling you, she will be like, please get away from me. Like, get oh, I was thinking the same, like, yeah. <laughs> but no, look, I, I'm honored and blessed to have covered him as closely as yeah. I did. It's, you know, I grew up a college football fan. That, that's my bread and butter. And so for me to be able to have those conversations with someone who I admire so much um, meant the world to me. So I, I just, I was super sad. And I was texting a lot of the former players in Alabama that I'm really close friends with from having covered them for so long. And they were all just shocked upset you know a lot of the players in house right now are actually not okay you know yeah. they're they yeah. were all very shocked when that team meeting was called in tuscaloosa and the scenes coming out of tuscaloosa are just insane people yeah. waiting outside the malmore athletic complex and yes it's just it's so crazy I, it's a sad day for me i know georgia fans are excited but um why would you be excited? It's even if you hate him, it, it's fun that rivalry yeah. every time you meet up with him and he makes people better, whether you like him or yeah. not. He made everyone around him better. So sad day for college football for sure. It just means that it's continuing to change. And I don't yeah. know that actually I do know we'll never see anything like it again. I know. And I thought about the fact that the NCAA also released a statement on Wednesday just to kind of update everyone on the fact that they voted, the D1 council that is voted to adopt new rules that are designed to kind of help athletes through some of those areas where Nick has a concern, drivers, unscrupulous agents and unfavorable terms for their name, image and likeness contracts. And my one thought there was as much as I hate to see Coach Saban go away. I kind of want to see the czar Saban. So whether that ends up being the czar of college football, because I don't know that we really need a, a governing body over all of the sports of NCA because it ain't working, but maybe a czar over college football as a starting point would be great. I kind of thought about him the way I thought about Mike Shashevsky and the fact that it was a struggle for him to kind of make the shift. But when he made the shift, he really started to advocate in the right way because he could see things from the player's perspective, that sometimes when you're sitting in those council meetings and you're on those boards, you don't quite know. And I feel like maybe, to Maria's point, as great as the seven championships are, maybe his greatest 
effort and his greatest impact on the game will be how he helps to move the game into the 21st century with all of these other outliers, transfer portal and NIL. Lord knows he gonna, he, he, if anyone can figure it out, it's probably him because Here's the thing. Like, I've had some conversations with some family members who coached on the college football level, and they are running from it. They are running from it, too, yeah. because it's so much. And I can understand. I don't even understand how Nick Saban was able to uh, even adjust to it to this point. Because, mm-hmm. you know, for him, the fact that he's competing in a world where this 24-7 recruiting guys out of high school, it's not 24-7 or recruiting the guys on your roster. Even yes. when you got them in the building, like you have to yeah. continually to recruit these guys every year and right. go out here and try to add guys into your roster. It is just so much going on right now. And I, I, I'm honestly, I, I wasn't shocked when I heard the news. I was like, it makes sense because yeah. it people are just, it's a lot. It's a lot. And then for the NCAA to kind of let it get to this point, Mm-hmm. Um and, and now is trying on the back end trying to make rules and stuff like that. Cause I remember a story with a young man where he signed the NIL deal and um apparently they were getting some of his NFL money. Like they were the contract that he signed, they were in line to uh, get some of his money from the um uh, that he made in the NFL because it was almost like it was a loan essentially. So it's just yeah. you got guys signing bad contracts and then yep. the coach trying to yep. look out for them guys and then you got collectives uh motivating roster movements and stuff. It's just too much going on. So I totally understand, but real funny, real quick story. Um, how I was introduced to Nick Saban. So I'm getting ready to go to take the SAT. I'm a senior in high school. You know, of course me procrastinating as usual. I'm taking the time trying to be, so I can make sure I'm eligible and everything to get a football scholarship. And I go to the mailbox before I leave the house, open up the mailbox. And there's this little letter in there. He had a little letterhead on there at Michigan state. I was like, Oh, okay, cool. You know, whatever. Opened it up. It was a handwritten letter from Nick Saban. Nick Saban had invited me out to a, a, one of the camps up there, and I was just like, and you know me, I had no idea about the process, the college football recruiting process. It, I just didn't know anything, no clue whatsoever. He was like, "Hey, Jarvis Davis, nice to meet you. I want to be, I want to invite you up to a camp. You know, we really love to get a chance to talk to you and all this stuff." I was just like, "Wait a minute!" Now I don't even think I even told my parents. I was like, I was just so shocked. But now to look back on that and say, this is ended up being one of the goats of college football, writing me a letter. Oh my gosh. Like it's just, it's just so, it's pretty cool just to kind of see how he's evolved from that, from that stage at, at that school to yeah. now. It is just so absolutely amazing. But yeah, he's definitely going to be missed. Well, Maria, sounds to me like we might have a new King of the Hill. I think he was already kind of ascending and kind of waiting in the wings and was the de facto, but I think now we can say Kirby Smart's official, official. He can go ahead and put the crown on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think so for sure. And I, I honestly think that Nick Saban would gladly pass it to Kirby. They have such a good Thank relationship. You. And uh, you, you can just tell that Coach has so much love and admiration for Kirby and, and same way with Kirby, um, yes. with Coach Saban. So, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's a tough thing to live up to. And I think that Kirby's never really put the pressure on himself to do that. He's always wanted to be right. himself. And that's kind of mm-hmm. why he's become as great as he is. Um, you know, in the beginning of his career when he was younger, it was, oh, you know, he's one of the disciples of Nick Saban, one of the many, mm-hmm. obviously. And there was a lot of focus on that. But now Kirby's kind of made his own. So he's branched off of that, uh, which yeah, is Yeah, he has a tree. <laughs> yeah, that's why he's been able to be successful. And it's certainly just the beginning for Kirby um, of a very long career. You know, he's young enough to where he could get 
seven national championships if he really wanted to. Now, with the way that college football is changing, I think it's going to say a lot about Kirby and everybody else, how they change yeah. with it. Um, because, again, like I was saying, I think Saban did it like nobody else ever has. Mm -hmm. And one thing that, you know, you were talking about earlier, Tanisha, when it comes to the NIL and everything, one thing that Saban was always so incredible at was advocating for his players, advocating mm -hmm. for his players, for his team, and doing what he believed was right for his players. He's always mm -hmm. been incredible at that. And you ask any former player, that man had such a profound impact in their life and changed their life for the better. So if he just could get his hands on some kind of something when it comes to decisions in college football, I think the sport would be in a much better place. But yeah, to your point, Jarvis, too, there's a lot of coaches being burnt out. Um, my husband and I used to coach in college football. I obviously didn't. My husband did. Um, and so all of our best friends are still in college you football. You said it right the first time. You said it right the first time. <laughs> yeah, uh, you have to deal with it. Yeah, yeah. That's right. No, it was my life, too. And it's uh, it's very difficult. And it's, you know, all of our best friends are still in it. And people are burnt out. And when Matt Moore retired, I was like, y'all don't realize that this is about to happen a lot more because of the way that it's changing. There has to be a solution. There has yeah. to be a fix. And Kirby has said the same thing. There are things happening in college football that are great that are mm -hmm. moving towards the better of the sport, but there's mm -hmm. also a lot that's hurting the coaches, the players. I mean, there there's a lot of things that need to change, and maybe yeah. Coach Saban can have his influence on it, especially now more than ever, because he even said there's so many things you got to deal with nowadays. Mm -hmm. um, so why can't he just focus on that? That would be fantastic. I know people would listen to him if he gave his opinion. Right. And I think that's why so many of the names that are being floated around, of course, there are some sources that said Dan Lanning has already been flown into Tuscaloosa to do his interviews. But when it comes to some of the former Alabama players who are now coaches who are coaching in the NFL, sources are saying that, you know, played with those guys like D'Amico Ryans. Uh, no, thank you. Because at least D'Amico Ryans has some semblance of a break as an NFL head coach. Whereas, like you said, it is a 24-hour cycle on 10 when it comes to being a college football coach. So again, congratulations, Coach Saban. We thank you for all that you've done for college football, but we got a sneaking suspicion this is not the end of the road for you. When we come back, we'll go around the Metro. This episode of the Atlanta Sports Party is also brought to you by Game Time. Now, you shouldn't have to worry when you buy tickets to your next big event. Like if you are trying to head down to State Farm Arena tomorrow night for the Hawks Pacers rematch from just last Friday. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. With killer last minute deals, all in prices, views from your seat, and their best price guarantee, game time takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. So what are some of the things you like to do? Well, like I said, I will probably be at State Farm Arena. If you want to pull up, this is probably the way for you to go. But there are also some really cool theater experiences that we have here. You can get tickets for those events as well through the Game Time app. Last minute tickets, flash deals, zone deals. You got to love it. And it's the lowest price guarantee. What do we mean when we say guarantee? Well, that means you always get the best price. You find tickets in the same section and row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. So take the guesswork out of it for yourself. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code Locked On for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply, but again, create an account, 
Redeem code L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N for $20 off. Download that Game Time app today for last-minute tickets and lowest prices guaranteed. All right, Jarvis, time for us to go around the Metro. We appreciate our girl, Maria Martin. She is on to the next stop that she has in a very busy sports day for her, but we definitely appreciate her stopping by. And we, of course, know that the Hawks stopped by back home for once. You know, they have been on the road the most of any NBA team this entire season. Now they have themselves a five-game homestand that started off Wednesday with the Sixers, and it started off with a win against the Sixers, 139, 132 in overtime, something they had not done in the five games previously that they played Philly dating back to last season. So Jarvis, they're now looking for their second straight win against the Pacers Friday, a revenge game from last Friday when they got smoked in Indy. They hope for a better outcome. They should get it with no Tyrese Halliburton, but riddle me this, J.D. I'm, I want you to fill in the blank. No pun intended. If I don't see anything else in that game Friday from the Hawks, I, meaning you, Jarvis, I need to see fill in the blank. I need to see them make a commitment to playing defense. If that's mm -hmm. not taking as many three-point shots because and, and not getting back on them, not getting back so, you know, these guys can, you know, go on a run and stuff like that. I just – because it's it's been yeah. a pattern with this team. They get off to good starts. The team makes a, a push to come back in the second quarter. Then the second half, it's, it's, it's all, it all goes kaput. But thankfully, mm -hmm. they were able to get the dub against the 76ers. Yeah. But it took a lot to get there, a lot of extra yeah. to get there. So if I can see them make a commitment to play defense, they may be trying and might not be good enough to be able to, uh, uh, to play, for that to play out uh, on mm -hmm. Friday against the Pacers. But... I'm just really at a point where now where I want to see an NBA team say, you know what? I understand what where we are in, in this league in 115, 120-point games. That's all cool. You know, and that's what it's probably going to be. But I just yeah. want to look at a team and say, you know what? How can we figure out a way to minimize, not stop, but right. minimize these type games? Because seeing 125, 130 points, I know people like scoring, but – I'm not a big fan of that, T, because right. I promise you, I can guarantee this. I put all the money that I got in the world on it. We ain't going to see this, this this type of scoring in the playoffs. Right. So what's the difference? So mm -hmm. why can't we get that same type of effort, you know, if that's what it's all about? Why can't we get that same type in a regular season, especially when you're under 500 and yeah. you're the 12th-ranked team in the doggone Eastern Conference and you're sitting outside of a uh, you sitting outside of a, of a play-in tournament that allows everybody to go into the playoffs. So, Jarvis, yeah, for me, I need to see consistency up and down the roster. So if I'm looking at this roster from last night and I see nine players dressed and I'm going to need to see nine players giving something, if you get in the game, you need to make a contribution and you need to make a contribution at both ends of the court. I don't want to look down the rebound. You know, I don't want to look down that particular stat and see anything less than like four or five rebounds per player. And I mean that seriously, mm -hmm. unless it's a situation like, you know, I might give a little bit of deference to Trey because, you know, we know he's trying to come up on his defense. I'm going to give him a little bit of grace, right? Because yeah. if not for him knocking that ball out of Tyrese Maxey's hand at the end of regulation, you would never have gotten a regulation to overtime in all likelihood because Tyrese right. Maxey was balling out as he's been the entire season and probably would have helped the Sixers walk away with the dub. So I need everybody to just, like you said, commit to two-way play, but I need it up and down the roster and I need it 
for the full 48 and consistently. So as good of a game, and, and again, not calling out anybody, but just giving an example. Onyeka Okonga was the example that Deshaun and I used on our Hawks postcast last night. Double mm-hmm. O had a double O type of game, Jarvis. 19 points, 11 rebounds, two blocks. And not only that, but he was seven of 10 from the field and perfect from the free throw line. Why do I mention that? Because that blends the old double O and the new double O. Old double O used to be out there like catching. Where's Waldo? Exactly. Right. And then, right. And then exactly. he would be catching boards. But then, like you said, on offense, we'd be like, OK, where's double O? Where's Waldo? And then this year, it's been more we've seen him effectively um, develop a 15 foot or a 17 foot jump shot. He's even developed a three point shot. But then he's gone reverting back to foul trouble last night. Yes, he did have five personals, but darn it. At least we saw two way play. Now, if I can get that out of double O at least every night, for the most part, give me some double digits, whether it's 12 and thir- or 13 points and it's 11 or 12 rebounds, that's fine. But I agree with you, consistency down, up and down the, the depth chart and consistency for the entire 48 or in the case of last night, if it goes over there. One more question for you before we wrap up, because I think you made a great point about the fact that what we saw last night and granted, the Hawks have the same lead as the the, the Hawks have the same highest lead or largest lead against the Sixers as they had against the Hawks, eight points. So it was a very evenly played out game. When you look at what Tyrese Maxey was able to do, that that was pretty much the bulk of the Sixers offense in the absence of Joel Embiid, although the Hawks got a more spread out contribution in the absence of Clint Capella. But my question is around the fact that the fact we're having the same conversation. Last I checked, let me see my math, 15, 21, that's 36 games. That means you are well into the season. You're on your way to halfway through the season. And we're still having the same conversation. So Jarvis, what in the world are they going to do? What do they need to do at the trade deadline to fix these types of issues that we keep talking about? I don't think there's a move to be made that can fix all of their issues. Yeah, I think they're definitely not upgrade. all. Right. They can upgrade and potentially make a push to get into the play-in tournament to, mm-hmm. to ultimately try to get into the playoffs. But sure. This this team is flawed. It's flawed, and it's been flawed for some time because when you talk about wing defenders, who's that guy? I'm not throwing DeAndre Hunter's name out there. I'm not even throwing DeJounte Murray's name out there because he's been a little shaky from time to time, and I think that, you know, that was one of the reasons why he was brought in to, to quote-unquote, help in that area. Mm -hmm. We just haven't really seen it that much, to be honest with you, or not consistently. So I think that there's not one move that the Hawks can make in order to get them to fix all their issues. But I do feel like there is going to have to have a, they're going to have to have a come to Jesus moment in in the off season saying, you know what, where are we and where are we going and how are we going to get there? Because the way their way things are going right now, they are not going to get there. Yeah. And unfortunately, as much as we would love the defense to pick up, the bottom line is, or, you know, see games that are a little bit more evenly matched. The bottom line is this. We are in a league right now where, you know, I got to straighten my glasses because I'm like, literally yeah. every night I'm looking at the same box score and I'm like, scores in the one high 130, scores in the low 140s. Even the Pacers got to 150 on the Hawks last week. And this is not just the Hawks issue, by the way. The scoreboard is being run up across the entire association. But what we mm-hmm. are saying is this, like you said, as you get deeper into this season, And as you get closer to the postseason and wanting to 
God forbid, get into the playing round, but maybe even sneak your way out of the playing round and just into the playoffs, you're going to have to have some perimeter defense. It has to ratchet itself up and it cannot be done by one person. And Jalen Johnson is doing the best that he can, you know, yeah. and Steve Bay will come out there and try to give you some contribution. But the bottom line is you've got to get that from somewhere between your true two and your true three and not just expect your stretch four to do everything. So we'll see. As we tell you guys, we are on the ticker. And we know that we've got 30 more days to kind of watch and see what the Hawks are going to do to kind of address this issue and at least get themselves more competitive for the back half of the season. We appreciate you guys for stopping by the Atlanta Sports Party. And we wanted to let you know that the Locked On Sports Atlanta YouTube channel is now streaming live 24-7. So it's all things Atlanta sports. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And remember to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We'll see you tomorrow on the Hawks Postcast. That will be Friday night. See you then. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.